Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Art of Money podcast, where I share honest conversations about how money influences our personal experiences, beliefs, and relationships, infusing this taboo subject with a loving dose of dark chocolate and inspiring encouragement. I am Barry Tesler, a financial therapist, author, and creator of The Art of Money, which is my flagship program, year-long money school, and global community. Integrating money healing, money practices, and money maps, The Art of Money is my holistic framework, blending therapeutic, body-based practices with the real-life tools you need to create healthy, sustainable change in your relationship with money. So you can say goodbye to that dusty old budget and hello to healing your money life. Learn more on my website, barrytesler.com. For now, grab something to sip on, get comfy, and tune in to today's episode of the Art of Money podcast. Hi there. Welcome everyone to a new Art of Money interview. Today, I have the joy of getting to interview Michael Ann Valterra. And we've known each other, I think for almost 20 years. I know she's been doing her money coaching, financial coaching work for that long, similar to me. So we met pretty early on in our careers and in our work. And I've interviewed her before, but it's time to interview her again. So Michael Ann, welcome. Hello from Seattle. I am so jazzed to talk to you about all this fabulous stuff today. Me too. Me too. And we can see each other, which is so lovely. I know. know, This is going to be audio. So, you know, I always like to have you begin by sharing a little snapshot of your life, home, work, anything you want to share right now as we begin. Yeah. So, uh, well, I shall start at the beginning. Um, I mean, I'm third generation Seattle, which is crazy because so many people in my wonderful city have moved from other places. Um, I did my undergrad in um, basically in third world economic development. If you want to kind of dig into what lit my fire, right? A lot of stuff in you know, Latin American studies and all that great stuff. Um, but a lot of times I'll just say economics, but it was, it was a lot juicier than that, Barry. It was just a lot of, you know, really interesting stuff and went off and lived in Southern South America and walked to the earth like Cain for five years, as they say. And I went back to grad school and I actually studied consciousness studies, believe it or not, consciousness studies, which is, there's a lot of um, basically transpersonal psychology. So, you know, economics as my undergrad, psychology as my master's. And then you say, wow, uh, what am I gonna do with this, <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. And I, I debated, I loved studying money, but I studied it from so many, what you and I would call alternative points of view, right? Like I was fascinated with community currency and you know, anything having to do with consciousness and money, spirituality and money, just stuff totally lit my fire. Um, but I wasn't certain, was I going to become a financial planner? which was something I really debated and, you know, helping people with retirement planning, all that stuff. 
but I was super drawn to psychology, Barry. I was, I, I almost became a psychotherapist. So then in walks, as you know, we both know this wonderful woman. I met a woman named Karen McCall. Um, and this is now 25 years ago, right? I had gotten a job. Okay. You may laugh at this, but what do you do with a master's in consciousness studies? <laughs> you go work at a think tank that studies consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. So here I am in my mid-20s studying consciousness with my master's. Um, and Karen came to speak at this wonderful event we had called the Soul of Money. She was a money coach. I'd never heard of money coaching ever. Uh, and here she is talking about combining psychology and behavior and all this deep stuff around money. And I was mesmerized. And the rest, they say, is history. You know, I, I went after I, I became her client. I went through money coaching myself, which was, you know, life-changing and, and amazing. But then I said, hey, I want to do what you do. And I'm one of the very first money coaches that Karen McCall ever trained. So I set up my first private practice in San Francisco. That's because I was actually in San Francisco at the time. That's where I went to grad school. And then I fell in love and I got married and I had a baby. So I moved back to Seattle, which is the home of my heart. I'm a Seattleite through and through. And I've been in private practice ever since in the Seattle area. I've, I have clients all over the world and we can talk about more what I do, but life story wise, I settled back in Seattle and, you know, I had my son and then life happens, right? I mean, I, I got divorced and, you know, got rid of the husband, kept the child as they, <laughs> as they say, right? And I just have this wonderful, happy life. I, I have this wonderful love of my life named Robert, who's the man of my heart and dreams. I just can't even say enough positive things. I'm a tango dancer. So when I'm not working, money coaching, all the stuff that you and I do by day, I dance, so I dance a lot by night. If I'm not working by day, I'm probably in a dance studio at night. So it's sweet, I'm, I'm empty nested, right? That's why I know where you are with not being, <laughs> not being empty nested. I'm a, I'm a 13 year old and you have a young man. I know, my son is gonna be a senior at the University of Washington, yay! Oh my gosh, what an amazing, wonderful, Thing. I'm so proud of him. I'm so proud of him. So definitely I rocked the single mom thing for about the past 10 years. Right. And I, you know, I, I bought a house. I built a set, I built a second house, a rental home. I mean, I've done a lot of um, things I'm pretty proud of here in Seattle, but through it all, I've, I've been a money coach now for 25 years. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. There's my Glenn in a nutshell. Yeah. There you go. And there, you know, you've been through so much of your own trials and tribulations and ups sure. and downs and, you know, curveballs and money challenges and money successes. And totally. yeah, for you to be a single mom and for you to have bought your own home and then to make, mm -hmm. you know, to create a rental property. I remember when you were doing that. I, that I know, was, right? Was, was that 10 years ago or was that? Well, I, I bought my home in, um, I got divorced in um, about, oh, we, we broke up in 08. And I bought my home in 09, but I didn't build the rental property until 2017. Okay. Um, it just took so, it was such a huge Herculean effort, you know, and it's, 
I had to work so much on getting my own retirement back on track. It's, it's such amazing work to help people not be stressed about the future. And, you know, I get it because I've, I've been through all of it. I was absolutely set back in my divorce financially in terms of how it impacted my, you know, retirement and life and, you know, all the stuff that, that so many of us go through. So I found a way to catch up. And, you know, for me, part of it was, um, real estate, but, you know, also just working on what, what all of us are working on and trying to, you know, stay invested and build towards retirement. Okay. Okay. So I know that you've been helping so many private clients Hmm. do the same thing as you have been doing it for yourself. And one of the main reasons I wanted to interview you again is to talk about income and increasing our income. And it's such a big topic. There's, you know, we can learn how to save more and we can learn how to spend differently and we can learn how to invest and give. And all of those things are equally as important, right? Mm-hmm. And and then, but there, but there is, you know, how do we make money? How do we increase our income, whether that's increasing our fees and our pricing, whether mm-hmm. that's changing a business model whether that's doing side gigs, pivoting, you know, learning to negotiate, right? These are all the different things. But I just yeah. know that this has been one of your main topics. It's and been a passion for sure. Okay, so I want you to talk about that. Yeah. Because in the back in the day, it was conquering well, under earning. Yeah, well, so let, let, let's do this. I mean, let me throw out the basic definition for, for your listeners, because um, like you said, there's a lot of elements to having a really healthy relationship with money, right? And one of them is being clear about what we spend, and that's that's a huge piece, right? But if you're not making enough, it's our it's our income that fuels all the stuff that we're talking about. Your income fuels enjoying your life, it fuels your retirement, it fuels having enough to enjoy your life for your children, on and on and on. So what what the definition of under earning is is the pattern of earning below your potential. And I wrote a book, it's been so many years now, Barry, oh my gosh, my book came out in 04 on um, why women earn less, how to make what you're really worth. And it explored a lot of it because I was fascinated from the very beginning about, well, what about the income piece? Everybody talks about the spending piece, which is great. But you know, if you're not making enough money, how can you pay your debts off and live your life? So the pattern of earning below your potential, it, it's really about pattern, Barry, because we all go through a time when our income goes down, right? Our income could go down because you have a boss that won't promote you, or some of us, you know, many people were hurt with their income in the pandemic, right? You lose your clients, things happen. Just because your income goes down doesn't mean you're under earning, but under earning is you know, I've researched this for years, it's, it is about this pattern of underselling yourself. And so it really begs a question of if you have consistently undersold yourself and earned less money than either you wanted or than was your potential, which of course is relative for all of us, right? Um, then that tells us that there's something else going on because patterns usually are based in, you know, a lot of psychology. But what what I would throw out before we go there is just common examples of how people undersell themselves. Can I, can I throw some common ones out? Yes, please. I'm loving every second of this. Keep going. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Well, and what, what's cool for people listening is this is why what I'm about to say is so I think 
helpful and powerful. The very, I'll just kind of cut to the chase and then I'll give a couple of examples. The, the number one way to start making more money is to start naming the pattern, start naming where you have undersold yourself. Because I'm telling you, this is like a silent epidemic. People don't talk about this. So for example, um, a really common way that some people undersell themselves is they don't negotiate their initial salary. And I'll, these are probably the three most common. So if you're, if you're, if you're self-employed, I'll give those examples in a second. But if you're W-2, if you work for someone else, then the question is, did you negotiate your initial salary? That's one issue. Um, women wait longer than men do to ask for raises. And they also, when they do ask for a raise, they ask for less money. Now, I, just to be super clear, men under earn as much as women can under earn. So I don't mean to say that today we're talking just about women, but it does impact women more. And I don't want to be afraid to, to point that out, right? So all of us though can, sometimes we don't negotiate, we don't ask for a raise, we don't ask for as much as people that are healthier earners, right? If you're self-employed, like let's say you're a therapist in private practice, same issue. If you are struggling with earning enough money, then a lot of times you'll find that you didn't set your fees high enough to begin with. You wait longer than other higher earners do to raise your fees. And when you do raise them, you don't raise them by as much money. So those are all really common examples, but there's more than that. Sometimes people stay too long in dead in jobs. You know, I've talked to people that say, this is not my fault. My boss will absolutely not promote me. This company won't won't move me, right? And I, yeah, I believe you. So people that are higher earners don't get stuck. They, they move and it is hard and painful to say because who wants to change, right? But high earners um, will not get stuck in a dead end job. And I'm saying it like it's so easy, but it's so hard. It's so hard. Um, are we giving ourselves away for free is a lot of times what this comes down to, or are we giving our time and talents away for less money than potentially we could? And of course, it begs the question, A, are we, and B, why, right? Um, sometimes I find that people are giving a lot of time and energy away because they're giving back to, um, you know, causes they believe in, right? Or they may call it all marketing, Again, these are not bad things, but are you saying that you're in pain around money and you need to make more to secure your future, but at the same time, you're giving yourself away. And so that's where it just, it, it, it's, a, it's a very tender conversation, Barry, because it's like people would rather often not have to think about this. And I understand, I really do understand, but if we don't take care of ourselves, who will? And if you don't take care of who you're going to be in 20 or 30 years, then who will take care of that person by making enough money? So it's, it's a really big topic, isn't it? So talk a little bit about the psychology, you know, of why it's so hard to act, to do things different here. You know, what comes up for people when they're going to go into a negotiation and there's so much nuance of that, of asking for more benefits or asking for more time, time off or asking for a higher rate or asking to renegotiate twice a year instead of once. Like there's so many 
nuanced parts of going into a negotiation that you can negotiate, right? And, or even raising your fees. So I wanna hear a bit about the psychology, like what comes up for people around worth, self-worth? Yeah. yeah. Well, so, okay, let me, let me throw in a study that'll kind of rock, rock your world and then the question will come back to why, okay? So they, they've, this is called a pay equity study and this will get into a little bit of the gender thing, but again, I don't wanna be afraid to talk about that because it's a, it's a big thing. So they've done this type of study over and over and over and they always get the same results, but I'll just tell it in this particular way. So they give on, let's use the example of a university campus, um, young men and young women a job to do. And it could be anything, go edit essays or go weed the dandelions, but go do this job and then come back and then write down on a piece of paper, how much money do you think that we should pay you for this job you just did, right? So it's fairly simple setup. But what we find is that women write down numbers that are 20% on average less than the numbers that men write down. So this just goes to the deep, deep, like deep stuff around why do women think that they um, deserve less and pay themselves less from the very beginning? They don't think that they're putting these numbers down. This is all done in secret, right? But it goes all the way to modeling. You know, you know how many of us are raised with um, moms that weren't career women? You know, the question is: Is this changing as we have different role models? Right. Um, it goes to: Do we believe it's okay to make enough money and earn our worth and be a breadwinner and be a caregiver? Can you be a rock star mom and an amazing breadwinner? Right. And so there's like all the do we have to always feel like we're trading it it off. Um, I mean, I, we'll, we'll, I know we want to go back to the negotiation, but the, the dilemma is if you take these studies, Barry, down to the level of first grade, where they pay kids in kisses, Hershey's kisses and strawberries, little girls still pay themselves less, right? Mm -hmm. So it's part of its modeling. Part of it is we worry we're going to be seen as greedy. The word greed comes out of the mouth in terms of the a concern that people think I'm greedy if I negotiate for more. That is a top concern for women, not for men. It's okay. very rare that men say, oh, I'm worried they'll think I'm greedy. Okay. Right. But women do. So it's, it's so complicated. Uh, one, one of the things that, that helps and again, we got to keep circling on the psychology because it's so complicated because it goes into deep self-esteem and, and, and modeling um, and it goes, it does go into training. You know, are we trained how to negotiate, right? But I'll tell you one of the top things that helps everybody earn more money is have a support system of people around you that say, you can do it. You're worth more. Okay. You're worth more. So I'm starting to make my list. My question is, you know, how do we grow our capacity here? Yes. Right? So how, th that's like one of my main questions is how do we grow our capacity to um, ask for more? Um, and, and then I want to get into, so I, I'm going to make my list. So one is support system, but also, you know, do we have to know our numbers? We have like, there's, I know you have more on this list of what we need to do in order to grow our capacity 
um, and to go into all these negotiations or to know like, what is our money ceiling? What have our limits been in the past and how do we move through them? And so I'm yeah. kind of going all over the place. So you bring me back. Right, yeah, no, no, it's perfect because it's all circling towards the same focus point, which is we want everyone to make more money and we want them to lead the life that they most desire, right? Because ultimately money is relative. So to go back to one of the points that you, that you brought up that really centers, I think the conversation, is do we know how much money we need and want to earn? And that's, that's one of the connection points between what, we, what you and I do for a living and this whole concept of, of earning more money. So many people, men and women, don't know how much money they truly need to earn because they don't know what they spend, right? And when you look at how much money you need to earn, it is, and I'm speaking to the choir, but I'll just say it, you know, it's a combination of, everything you spend, plus what you wanna save, plus what you wanna give back, plus what you wanna put into retirement. I mean, there's a lot in that number, right? But people, when they get clear about how much money they truly need and want to earn, that goes a huge distance towards helping people um, negotiate and ask for what they truly want. I, one of the, the dilemmas, I just wrote this huge long ebook on this, is there's a big disconnect between work and money. Meaning that in the universities, we are taught to look at, well, what do you wanna do when you grow up? And what do you wanna study? And what do you wanna have as your profession? But nobody's talking about how much money you can earn as a result of the profession you're studying. It's super rare that universities talk about how much money you can earn fill in the blank as a, you know, oh, you want to be a psychotherapist? Okay, if you go that route, someday you can earn in this range, right? It, it's like the university system and its beautiful ivory tower thinks that talking about money will somehow taint the process of vocation, right? And so how do we bring it in and talk about it? And there's a, there's a huge spectrum, you know, of how much a psychotherapist can make, whether they're right. working as a social worker in that field, and you're going to get paid pretty low, you know, um, like I did when I first started out compared to being able to start your own private practice and earn more compared to being able to also teach online. Like there, you know, in any career, there's just so many different routes to go with that. Um, I think, oh, my, I, yeah, I mean, I grew up with a father who was always trying to talk about the money and like, if you do this or that, you will earn money, you know, and uh -huh. I was like, I don't want to hear that. Like, that's not right. how I'm going to make my decision. I'm just going to, I'm going to do my good work and train as a therapist and stop, stop trying to have that conversation with me. But that also gets into just what careers and fields are valued in different ways and mm -hmm. in the earning capacity or potential in each of those. And right. there's a lot of problems and issues based on um, inequality. Right. Well, and I guess what I'm curious, is it also a reaction? Like if you had, because, you know, most people are not raised with people talking a lot about the money you can right. make from different professions. So do you think that because your dad talked about it so much that it was a reaction to say, nope, I'm not going to make my decision based on the money because he went on and on about it. I mean, it's interesting, right? Very Childhood good. stuff. Therapist, of course it is. You know, and I told <laughs> my story, you know, that that was what right. I was, you know, 
a part of my mm-hmm. money beliefs and life choices were based on my relationship to my father right. and, you know, our dynamic and my rebellion and totally. to do the opposite or very different than how he approached life or business, et cetera. It, you know, until at some point I realized like, I, I don't need to be in opposition with my father. I get to choose right. my own path, but yes, that is, yeah. certainly, yes. Well, and, and it goes to what, what is an um, income earning ceiling, you know, like years ago when I was working with Karen, we did this income ceiling meditation and there's, you know, lots of different ways to do it. But when I was meditating on imagining earning different amounts of money, because this goes to, do we have a, a limit subconsciously to how much money we think we can earn? And even though we're trying and trying and trying to make more money, we can't. And so it always begs the question, is there something subconscious going on around some limit that we may not be aware of? And I, and I remember very clearly as I was imagining earning different amounts of money, I hit this one amount of mo- uh, money and I, can't, I think it was like, let's say it was 80,000. And in my meditation, I could see my dad, speaking to dads, right? Because there are earning models for many women in our generation. I could see my dad sitting on a wall with his arms folded and he was happy, but he was in his, um, we were a military family. So he was in his army fatigues. And I, as I thought about it and I was trying to figure out like, why do I see my dad sitting on this wall? And then after that, I couldn't imagine earning any amount past that. There was nothing I could envision past that. And as I was thinking about it and talking about it and kind of unpacking it with um, Karen McCall, one of the things we came to is I had this belief that it wasn't okay to ever earn more than my dad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he worked so hard for our family. Oh my gosh, did he work hard for our family? He sacrificed everything. And who am I to make more money than he made? I'm not even saying it makes sense the way I'm saying it, but, but that's the unconscious subconscious, right? And so I, you know, I'd hit this level and I, I just felt like it was somehow betraying my dad to be more successful than he was. And it took me a while to kind of un- unpack that to be able to move past it. So that is so common, whether it's the father, whether it's the mother, whether it's the, you know, the family class level, you know, mm-hmm. that comes up absolutely over, over again. I've seen it for years. And do we want to step outside, right. you know, our family dynamic and the class and who do we think we are? And then right. all those other layers of greed or ambition or, you know, wanting to be different. Is that okay? So that that part of our own relationship to money and our psychology does come up. And I've added that to my list. When we are growing our capacity and we're going through these things and we'll, we'll keep coming back to them, but that is doing an income ceiling meditation and, you know, and really looking at what's the, what's the dollar amount per month, per six months, per year, right? that has been your limit, like your ceiling. Well, it's so good. It's like, and and each level imagining, see the lifestyle. Like I could see as much detail as you can, right? Because at some level you're going to go foggy and that's your clue that you've hit some, some limit there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, and I would go back to something just because it's so, I feel so strongly about it. You know, I, I have this huge courses, you know, coming out around unlock your earning power. And I'm, I'm kind of up to my eyeballs and all the current thinking and psychology out there around, um, 
how much people can earn and why people earn the way that they do. And, and there's a lot of talk about the pay gap, as you and I know, and we can get into the wealth gap later if you want. But it, it is estimated that half of the pay gap, meaning that 50% of the pay gap, um, can be attributed to the, to the careers that people choose from the beginning. And so I don't want to like sweep that under the rug. It is, it's a pain point for those of us that are like, well, great, I chose 20, 30 years ago and I'm already in my career. But for your listeners that are younger or they're having conversations with their children, you know, or they're looking at a midlife career change, looking at the actual career that you're going into to begin with is a huge, huge piece of the puzzle that that doesn't get talked about, right? And, and it was interesting, I was reading something in um, Jennifer Barrett's book, Think Like a Breadwinner, and she was making the comment, and this, this goes back to the gender piece, even in fields like, uh, I think she gave the example of, uh, it was engineering, women picked the lowest paying engineering fields. And it just was like, are you kidding me? I mean, this is really, really deep stuff, but she theorized that one of the reasons is because one of the lower paying fields was environmental engineering and, and something that was a little bit more cause based um, and doing something so near and dear to our heart is so important, right? And so we don't want to, we don't want to sweep that under either. So it's like, how do we, how do we talk about all this in a clean and clear way and not be afraid to bring money into the conversation because you don't need to be rich to be happy, right? You don't need to make $250,000 a year to be happy, but you need to be clear. You need to be clear on both, both the income and the outgo side. Okay, so there's, there's so much here. I know. <laughs> I, you know, and I know this is what you're studying day in, day out. It's like I'm a mad scientist about it. It's so exciting. <laughs> so, I mean, these might be my words, but it's, you know, how do we grow our capacity um, to know our worth, claim our worth? You know, I always say at the same time, like our net worth is not our self-worth and our right, self-worth right, is right, not right. our net worth. And I know you ultimately believe that. Absolutely. Well, right. Um, but you're, you're really wanting to help women know what their numbers are, how much they really want and need to fill all the buckets, the life buckets that are important to them, as you said, mm -hmm. to live their lifestyle, but also to give and to give back in the way they want Absolutely. to also plan for their future, mm -hmm. all these things. So it's growing our capacity, um, to, earn more. Um, so maybe it's not claiming our self-worth more. It's growing our capacity to earn more. And here are some of the things that you already said that, that lead to that, that we need to be doing. So one, need to know your numbers, which you and I, right, both love a good bookkeeping system. You are part of, mm. you know, creating a new one. Right, right. right. With Karen yep. Paul. We love Money Grit. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Money Grit. So, right, which is now Money Minder. Does Money Grit still exist? And Money no, Minder? no, Money Minder was what Karen and I co-founded and it became Money Grit. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, Money Grit or, you know, any system that you're using is a good system. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> right. 
any system where you can actually see clearly what your numbers are, where you're spending, how much you're bringing in to know mm -hmm. your patterns and cash flow. So that's a big piece, which can, you know, I always say that takes three to six months to just learn a system and then a good year to feel comfortable and confident. Right. So that's number one. You're saying, and we can get into any of this in more detail. Number two, create a support system. We need might need to, you know, just have people cheer, cheering you on, saying, I know you can do this. I know you can be brave enough and ask for more and go for it. And right. just I got you. I got your back. So there's that. Right. There's exploring income ceiling, like what's your limitations, doing a meditation around that. Mm -hmm. And then the last one is what you're what what i'm calling is knowing your inner thoughts knowing starting to unravel what your money psychology is so what comes up for you is it you don't want to you know earn more than your family and what does that mean what do you imagine that will mean what comes up for you what do you think will happen um mm -hmm. you know and on and on and on like what comes up for you okay. when you think about earning more when you go to have that negotiation or raise mm -hmm. your face, like what is coming up for you all that deeper right. inner work? What am I missing? Or what well, so uh, what I'll what I'll I'll add um, I'll add to that in a minute. But do you want me to talk a little bit about the inner thought, the belief systems? Please, yes, yeah. So, and you and I did a, a really great conversation. I can't remember how long ago it was on um, noble poverty, and it the. One of the common um, things that sometimes people fight against is, is it truly okay to have money, right? Is, do really, really good people, um, can really good people be wealthy? Because so many people believe that, quote, wealthy people, which is a super general word, um, somehow must feel like they're greedy or feel superior. And so it is important to go back into childhood and look at doing some version of what I would call a work and earning autobiography, right? It's, you know, what did you see your mom model to you around money and around earning? What was the message about you growing up and having a career? And what was the message around um, growing up and making enough money to, you know, have a family, for example? What did your dad model to you? Um, were you really told um, I mean, this goes to such deep, sometimes really hard beliefs, belief stuff. Do you feel worthy of receiving money? Do you feel like, um, are you a quote, good enough person to be able to um, have money? I mean, just hard, hard deservedness stuff is kind of what I, what I would call deservedness stuff. But I also think, Barry, that one of the unconscious beliefs is that people worry, again, not consciously, but they worry that they won't be able to manage the money if they do make money. They, they believe they're not good with money. They okay. may have grown up feeling dumb or, or bad with numbers or you know all that stuff that I know makes us both so sad. But if we really do believe that, then we fear like, oh my gosh, I'm struggling making 60,000 a year and I have debt and this and that. If I made double the money, I'd have double the money problems. And it's not a conscious thing, but it's super common. Um, the other belief that I would throw up is throw in there is when people look deep in their heart and they look deep into the past around their family, did they grow up with any type of um, conflict around money? Did they hear their parents fight about money? 
super common. Yeah. Unfortunately, you and I know, and it's so sad, all the stories that you and I hear, but if you grew up hearing your parents fight about money, a lot of times it's like it becomes part of your internal money script, your programming. And so there's this belief that says, ah, money causes pain. Money makes mom cry. Money hurts relationships. And, you know, we're so young when we witness a lot of this painful dynamics in our um, families growing up that we're still growing, we're still developing. And these very complicated situations that we observe, we simplify because we're children, right? And we go, ah, what this must mean is money is bad. What this must mean is money causes bad things to happen. And you zip it up, you don't think about it for years and years and years, you're an adult. And now as an adult, there is this almost like aversion to money. Sometimes the aversion is in the handling of money. I don't wanna manage it, what you and I would call a money avoider, right? Many, many avoiders grew up in very painful money situations. Um, sometimes that, that early childhood situation causes you to repel earning money right? Because what well, makes sense, money's bad. Money causes a lot of pain. So as, as hard as this stuff is, it is so healing to bring it up and talk about it um, and heal it, which is, you know, such a powerful part of your work, Barry, because if, if I mean, you know, right? If people can't name it, how can they heal it? Right. So it's, it's such a, a huge, huge piece of this puzzle of claiming our worth and claiming our place in the world and claiming our power is really healing some of that really old stuff for us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And going back there, not to stay there forever, but just to mm -hmm. pick up those gems and see like, where did we, where was a belief formed or some kind of declaration that happened, mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm not going to have anything to do with money, you know, because right. of everything that you were just saying, and then we create life patterns or we make choices, you know, based on that. Right. So you can't change what you can't name. Right. True. Very true. And I want to also just reiterate the, the piece around so much fear of what am I going to do with it? Like, what am I going to do with this extra money? You know, that in itself, you would think that that's a great problem to have. But you and I both know that a lot of us, we get scared, you know, we, because, you know, half the people that come to me, if not way more, come in with, I'm terrible with money. I'm stupid with money. I, you know, don't do it well. And then I'm like, we leave one session and they've listed five to 10 ways that they are successful around money. And that they've never named for themselves before that, that they've so never even, you know, that simple thing instead of I'm all just shitty, you know, I'm just, right. you know, I suck at this. It's like, no, there are things to improve upon always. Right. But, the, but there is this piece around, I'm nervous that I won't know what to do. Um, once I get the money, you know, how, how, if I can't manage my money now, how am I going to manage it then? Or what do I do? You know, and that's where I personally had to learn how to save in my thirties. I, I was some, it was a muscle. I had to sit down and, and learn how to work. Learn that, well, you know. yeah. I mean, people somehow think we're supposed to be born with some bone in our body called the money knowledge bone. Right. That's, that's it's silly, right? And, you know, Barbara Stanny in a lot of her wonderful books talks about this, that if I'm learning some other skill, like what, what's a, okay, 
crocheting or knitting, which is so bloody complicated. I don't assume that if I watch someone do a complex pattern, I'm like, oh yeah, got it. Great. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna slowly learn it. I'm gonna ask a lot of questions. It's, it's a normal learning process for a complex skill. Money can feel complicated. And, but people put so much shame and blame on themselves if they don't get it right away. If, yeah. if they learn like the, you know, the beginning of a bookkeeping system, right? Or the beginning of how, how to track your money. It's normal to take a while to learn a new skill, but we bring such a onus to that, this particular subject. And yet we allow ourselves the grace to learn so many other complicated subjects that where's the grace for ourselves in learning some of this, you know, yeah. the grace around learning how to negotiate or, you know, just diving into a lot of the stuff that you and I are talking about. It, it takes time, it takes energy um, and we're worth it. We're worth taking the time and energy and we're super smart people just because we don't get something the first time. Um, that's proof that we've got a normal brain. Yeah. Right. It's not normal to understand all this money stuff the first time around. That's not normal. And yet, for some reason, we think it is. Yeah, it takes years and years and years and years, and we'll be doing it until and fine tuning until we die. You know, fine tuning every single year, right? Working on our saving muscle, working on our income muscle, right? Mm -hmm. Anything else? We've touched on a lot, but anything else that you want to share that's that you're going to be teaching? you know, in Unlock Your Earning Power. And why did you change it from conquering under earning to unlock your earning power? And then, yeah, and anything that's- Oh my God, that's such an intuitive question. I love you ask that. Um, I just adore you. Um, because I didn't like the focus so much on under earning. I had someone say, oh, you specialize in under earning. And I said, no, 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 no. I don't specialize in how to make less money, right? Under earning is the clinical term when you read the research and the literature. Um, and, and it's, it's an important to understand what under earning is, right? The pattern of earning below your potential, but what we want to do is unlock our earning power. We want to put the focus on the positive, right? And really look at, you know, how can we unlock this, you know, and like the ebook on that I put on my website lists so many ways that we do undersell ourselves so we can name it and shift it. Right. Um, but I'll throw out, let me just throw out a real um, practical tip for people that I think is helpful. So you want to, and I'll do for the self-employed and for um, W2, people that are not self-employed, you want to ask for a raise on average every 12 to 18 months. A lot of people just don't know that, right? And by the same token, you do want to always attempt to negotiate your initial salary. Employers assume it. I'm not saying every single employer assumes it, but it's the most common thing in the world. I'm not saying it always works, right? But it's, it's very normal to counter and ask for more money when you're offered a job. And you do want to ask for a raise every 12 to 18 months. If you are self-employed, then it's the same thing with fees. Yes, you want to go into the market high enough, which is about researching the range and probably goes beyond what we can talk about. But if it has been more than 12 to 18 months since you last raised your fees, then I vote raise them right now. 
raise them right now because you have to um, keep pace with inflation not to fall behind, right? That's not even about earning more and more and more. If you raise your fees about 5% every year, that will keep you even. That's, that's not what I want people to do. I want people to earn more because you're becoming more experienced, right? And you're getting more results and you're growing deeper and deeper in your work and your clients are getting such wonderful, amazing results. But I want you to at least not fall behind in terms of, of inflation, right? Because your costs are going up, right? So your fees have to go up just to stay up with, you know, with, with, you know, my phone bill is higher now and my rent goes up, you know, all of that stuff. So I, I really want people to consider raising their fees every 12 to 18 months. And there's so many reasons to raise them, but if nothing else, you're 12 to 18 months more experienced, right? So, yes. Yeah. Okay. So I'm jumping just to something you said before you talked about that, which is you have a list of all the different ways that we under earn. Do you have a list of all the little baby steps that we've been talking about today of what to do to get you on track to earning more incrementally to asking for more? Like, where's that? Is that the yeah. course? So some of them, so some of them are in, some of them are in the course I'm teaching in October. Some of them are um, on the, if you go to seattlemoneycoach.com, seattlemoneycoach.com, um, the free resource page is where a lot of it is. So the, the book I was just talking about is called Unlock Your Earning Power, The Truth About Under-Earning, because that's the very first step is naming and shifting it. So that's super robust. It's like 20 pages on there. But I also have um, all sorts of audios on that page too. And there are that everything on that page is free, right? And so it's everything from you know, raising fees to unlocking earning power to, I mean, you know, all the stuff that we were talking about. The, the whole topic is too big for the free resource page. So that definitely will be unpacked in the course, but there's so much I have that is either on the blog that's 100% free or on the, um, in fact, I'm looking, I think I even have the, the escaping noble poverty with integrity the uh, 40, 45 minute audio is on there too. So for people that resonate with that, it's, it is a game changer. Wonderful. And just go back to something we talked about at the very beginning. I mean, were you just more of a natural at saving and planning for the future and earning was like, uh, you know, the, the, the piece that you really needed to work on and learn all the nuance of, of how to, yeah. yeah. I think so. We, we teach what we most need, right? That's yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I, I never, I, I mean, I worked on all the aspects of my relationship with money for sure, but the earning piece was the one that was the hardest for me. It was the most painful. And I think that's why I focus so hard on how, what's going on, right? Why am I having a hard time claiming my worth? Why am I not earning the way I feel like I should be earning? And, you know, I did everything from a lot of um, therapy to working with Karen to, you know, reading different books. Um, and, and I did it. I managed to shift it and finally step into earning what I was worth. But it was a process. Yeah. It was it was a process. And some of it was in my childhood. Some of it was I just was missing some of the skill set. And, you know, I, I tend to think that this whole topic we're talking about is like the silent epidemic. A lot of people don't even talk about the fact that 
they're not earning what they want. It doesn't occur to them to one way to solve many problems is to earn more. Yeah, yeah. So and that was part of it, partly true for me. Yeah. So share one edge, like learning edge that you're working on right now in real time. What's my current learning edge? Yeah. Around, um, yeah. Probably, let me think about that. I'm trying to think the simplest way to say it. I think it's visibility, um, which is related to marketing, right? It's it's being visible. I'm, I'm kind of a, a little um, head heart nerd at heart, right? And so I would love to just write and do all of this stuff, but it doesn't matter if you don't share your gifts with the world, right? And so if I know things that can help people, I have to be able to put it out there. So I've worked so hard over the past couple of years on my own visibility issues and just rising up and being more visible and bringing it out to the world. But, you know, that has been definitely a process for me. I'm, I've done more than my fair share of therapy on it. <laughs> and it's a, and it's, and it's a blessing, right? To be able to work on it and shift it. Wonderful. Thank you for being honest about that. And yeah. my very last interview, which is going out before this one is all about visibility. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. It's with Danielle Cohen, my photographer, who's, you know, had to pivot during the pandemic because she couldn't fly out and you know, do amazing photo shoots like she was, and she's doing visibility programs, so visibility wow. coaching. So oh, that it's wonderful. gonna go out right before, and then yours will go out. This oh, one I love that I said that. How it's yeah. so perfect. Yeah. yeah, visibility is so key to earning in general, and it's it's such a deep topic, as you know. Yes. Yeah, we touch on pricing a little bit in there and business models. So mm -hmm. all these interviews are connected. Michael Ian, thank you so much for joining me today, for sharing your wisdom and your experience. And please go find Michael Ian. I will have the link below so you can enjoy her free stuff. And also, you know, if you want to do deeper work, then please consider the Unlock Your Earning Power program. Is that you've had online programs before, but this is. Is this, yeah, this, this will be the biggest one. Okay. Yeah, the, yeah, this will, it's an it's an eight week digital course with a you know it's a community component and the live Q and A component and you know so many um, downloadable guides and you know tips and tricks and how to but the core of it is going to be sixteen video lessons where I teach people how to unlock their earning power. And, and as you and I talked about, some of it is deep, deep psychology shifting and some of it is, you know, every, every tool in the shed, right? I mean, luckily we don't all need everything, but I believe there's, I, I love this subject because I think there's so much that people can do to earn more once they really tune into really wanting to shift it. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. Love it. Thank you so much. Oh, everyone is so fortunate to have you and all your wonderful programs. Ah. To be continued and all to of be it. continued. Hi again. Thank you so much for joining me today. What you heard here is a delicious sample of the loving guidance, heartful inspiration, and practical tools you'll find in my year-long money school, The Art of Money. I hope you found something here to take with you, a lesson, some inspiration, or even just a little grace for yourself and where you are in your own money journey. If you're feeling called to wade deeper here, 
Please pack your financial goals, soul deep aspirations, and grab your favorite person. You can find out more at barrytesler.com.